Amen. It does my heart good to sit up here and to listen to you sing those words over me. I know that you're not singing them over me, but it's just comforting to hear all of you singing together. We're going through the Psalms this summer, uh, and today we're going to be in Psalm 46. And so if uh, you want to turn there, if you're using the, the church Bible, it should be on page 471. This may be a uh, familiar psalm to some of you. Let's um, stand together uh, as we listen to God's word read. Uh, we stand uh, out of reverence for his authority and for his word. From Psalm 46. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam. Though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariot with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And while the grass withers and the flowers fade, the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Be seated. Let me pray. Our God and our King, would you take the truth of your word and would you write its eternal truth on our hearts? We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is what's called a psalm of confidence. Uh, it's clearly a song written to be sung in worship, right? That superscript on there uh, right by the, the 46 tells us what this song was for. Uh, it was written by the sons of Korah. Uh, there are 11 psalms that are attributed to them. Uh, who were the sons of Korah? They worked in the temple. Uh, they were gatekeepers and they performed some other functions, but their role was to help people worship. And so they wrote the psalm. To help people worship God, to help God's people worship God. 
And there are some words here that we don't know the meaning of, words like alamoth and selah. These are probably musical terms. We don't really know what they mean. Uh, But we don't really have to understand them to understand the psalm itself. The theme is very clear. He gives it to us in that opening verse. God is our refuge and strength. And he plays that theme out over three different scenes. And I want you to remember what I said when we started this series in the Psalms. This is poetry. And so the language is highly symbolic, but what it's meant to do is to get your imagination stirring. As you read these words, you need to see uh, with your mind's eye what it is that's happening. And so he gives us three different scenes. Uh, When the world goes crazy, verses 1 through 3. Uh, when we're surrounded by enemies, verses 4 through 7. Uh, and then uh, when God eventually wins in verses 8 through 11. And those are the three scenes that we're going to take a look at uh, this morning. Each scene ends with that word, Selah. And so those are a very natural break for us in the text. Um, so let's look at each one of those scenes. First, we are safe when the world goes crazy. Again, look at the the first verse. It gives us the general theme. God is our refuge, uh, safe place, shelter. He is the place you run to. He is our refuge and our strength. Not the source of our inner strength, but he is strength itself. He is our strength. Psalm 118, 9 says it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in men. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. He is found to be a great helper in times of trouble, in times of distress. That's that's the big idea. And then he says in verse 2, Therefore, in response to those truths, in response to the truths that God is our refuge, our strength, our helper in times of trouble, we will not fear. So there you have it. Pretty simple, huh? Because God is our refuge and strength, we will not fear. Got it? All right. That's simple enough. Of course, now that sounds, it's easier said than done, isn't it? It's one thing. Let's, let, and so what we want to do is we want to take that abstract truth and we want to get it down into our hearts. In response to those truths, the psalmist says, we, we will not fear, and then he keeps going. He says, we will not fear even though the earth gives way, changes, shakes. Uh, so think of an earthquake. We will not fear even though the mountains move or fall into the heart of the sea. I double-checked this factoid this morning, uh, Googled it so for what it's worth. But did you know that the deepest part of the ocean, that the, 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 the deepest part of our earth is deeper than the highest part? What that means is you could take Mount Everest, which is the highest mountain that we have, and you could drop it in the deepest part of the ocean and you wouldn't see it, five, at least for 5,000 feet. That's crazy. Right. So if you think of what the psalmist is doing, think of anything more stable and secure than the earth under our feet and the mountains that tower over us. 
And he's picturing a scene where these very stable, very secure things are moving and shaking and giving way. He says, we will not fear even though the waters of the sea roar and foam. Many of you probably have been to the ocean. We were at the ocean this past week. One of my favorite things to do in the ocean is to body surf. Uh, It's very thrilling when uh, the ocean shoots you forward to the beach like a torpedo. But it's also scary. Because, you know, I'm just a shade under six feet tall. We can round up. We'll say I'm six feet tall. Let's do that. Okay? And... These waves, the last day that we were there, it was the best day for surfing. Uh, of course, a good day for surfing means that the waves are much bigger. And so as you, as you feel the, the water tugging at your legs, and you turn and you see this wave, and it's cresting up two, three, four feet above your head, right? you know that that's going to come roaring down with some power. And there were some that I caught, and then there were some that caught me. Right. Uh, and, and these waves are nothing compared to what actual surfers, you know, ride in Hawaii and California and places like that. But you've seen the water roar. You've seen it foam. Maybe you've seen pictures or videos of when a hurricane comes ashore and these waves crashing left and right, overwhelming the land, wiping out bridges. That's what the psalmist is picturing, a scene of absolute and utter chaos. Like the world itself is coming undone. And the psalmist says that in the midst of that, in the midst of that chaos, we will not fear. We are safe when the world goes crazy. Why? Because God is our refuge and strength. He is stronger than the greatest disaster We can possibly imagine. And we're pretty good at imagining some great disasters, right? I mean, the the things that the psalmist writes here are the sort of things you would only see in movies. The sort of things only made possible by CGI. As great as our imagination can be in imagining terrible things that can happen, God is greater still. He is stronger still. And that should give us comfort. That should give us confidence. Now, does that mean that we don't feel anything? Does that mean that we just kind of sail through circumstances? You know, if we finally grasp this, that we'll just kind of laugh at danger and, you know, just be serene and calm all the time? I don't, I don't think so. Imagine that you're Ukrainian or Sudanese. Uh, And you're fleeing your home with your children because bombs are falling onto the buildings around you. I imagine I would be very afraid if that was happening. So I don't think that the psalmist is telling us that we'll be unfeeling. But he's telling us where to find our confidence. He's telling us where to run when everything else, everything that seems stable and secure, when everything else around us fails. So this psalm is about knowing where true strength is found in the midst of weakness. And that's really what this is an acknowledgement of. I mean, that, that's why the waves are scary. Because before a towering wave, I'm nothing. That thing can own me. It, it can break me. 
And so this is about admitting our weaknesses and running to the one who is our strength. We're safe when the world goes crazy. We're safe when we're surrounded. That's the next scene that shifts in verse 4. The, the image shifts from one of a natural disaster to a city at peace. Verse 4, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. But then as we keep reading, we realize this city is a city under siege. It's a city surrounded by enemies, raging nations. What's a siege for my young friends, kids? What's a siege? Well, in the old days, and actually we still do this now, right? A siege is when the city is surrounded by enemies. And so if, uh, in the old days when cities had tall walls to keep enemies out, what the enemy armies would do is they would come in and they would surround your city. They would cut off uh, the food and the water supply if they could, uh, and then they would basically just wait you out. That's the situation that the psalmist seems to be referencing here. This happens a number of times in the Old Testament and the Bible when God's people are surrounded by enemies. But here, even though there's a siege around the city, the city itself is at peace. There's a river running through the city. It's watering the city. The city is secure. And why is the city secure? Look at verse 5. Because God is in her midst. Now, when you hear the Old Testament talk about the city of God, it's talking about Jerusalem. And when you hear it talking about the place of his holy dwelling or habitation, it's talking about the temple. The temple that was in Jerusalem where heaven and earth meet. So what do you and I do with that? We're not Old Testament Israelites. We don't have uh, a temple anymore. Here's what happens when you move into the New Testament. Jesus replaces the temple. In fact, the temple all along was meant to point to Jesus. Jesus is the true place where heaven and earth meet. But it doesn't stop there. All of God's people who have faith in Jesus, who are resting in Jesus, we become the temple. We become God's dwelling place. If you are, filled, if, if you are a believer in Jesus, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are a dwelling place for God. That's how the New Testament talks. And so what that means is when you and I, New Testament believers, read this passages like this that talk about Zion or talk about the city of God, he's talking about the church. He's talking about his people. God's people, even though they are surrounded by enemies, can rest secure because God is in their midst. God is with her. He says in verse 5, she shall not be moved. That's the same Word that he uses to describe the mountains moving into the heart of the sea in verse 2. Even if Mount Everest were to move, were to fall into the deepest part of the ocean, never to be seen again, God's people will not be moved. It's the same word used of the kingdoms in verse 6. The enemy kingdoms, they will totter, they will move, they will fall. God's people will not be moved. Why? Because God is in her midst. She is secure. We are safe. God will help her when morning dawns. 
It's echoing Exodus 14. Maybe you're familiar with the story of the Exodus when God rescues his people from Egypt. And they cross the Red Sea, right? Egypt is pursuing Israel. And God opens up the Red Sea, providing a highway for his people to walk through. And over the night, the entire nation of Israel moves through the Red Sea. And Egypt pursues. Down into the Red Sea they go to recapture Israel. But then as morning dawns, as the last Israelite foot touches the shore on the opposite side, God moves the waves back, and Egypt is defeated. God will help her when morning dawns. God rescues his people as the day breaks. We are safe, even when we're surrounded by enemies. Stonewall Jackson, famous Civil War general, said this, My religious belief teaches me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. God has fixed the time for my death. I do not concern myself about that, but to be always ready, no matter when it may overtake me. That is the way all men should live, and then all would be equally brave. I am as safe in battle as I am in bed. To be safe in God, now, that doesn't mean you can't be hurt. We should be clear. It doesn't mean that you're invincible. And it doesn't mean that we should be cavalier and foolish. But it does mean that when we are surrounded, when we feel surrounded, when we feel attacked, it means that we can face opposition with humble courage. It means that we don't have to be afraid of what people can do to us. Listen to the refrain, the the chorus. He repeats it twice, once in verse 7 and again in verse 11. The Lord of hosts. He's talking about God's heavenly armies. Why can we rest secure? Because the Lord of heavenly armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Fortress. This word refers to a a well-protected stronghold on a high mountain that's very hard to get to. The God of Jacob is our fortress, our stronghold. Friend, if you are in Christ, then no one can harm you. Not ultimately. Not really. They could take your life. They could take many things that you love. But they cannot ultimately do you any harm because God is in your midst. That is the promise of Psalm 46. And then the scene shifts again. We're safe when we're surrounded. And finally, we are safe because God will win. Verses 8 through 11 give us a vision of the future. And the battle is over. The siege has come to an end. The psalmist invites us to look into the future and see what God has done. It's a scene of judgment and a scene of victory. Those two things go together in the Bible. It's a scene 
that's terrible to behold. God has ended the battle. He's spoken and everything is done. He caused the wars to cease. Those enemies who rage against God's people are defeated. Their weapons are destroyed and useless. It's terrible to behold, to look over a desolate battlefield, unless you're the one in the city, unless you're the one under siege, unless you're the one being attacked. And then it's good news. Uh, Pastor Ligon Duncan says that these verses function like the book of Revelation. You're familiar with that book, that the one that everybody wants to try to understand. Um, I'll make it really simple for you. Here's what the book of Revelation is all about. God gives us a picture of how things are going to end so that we will have hope. That's it. God gives us a picture of how he is going to end things so that we will have confidence in him. And here's the message of Revelation. God wins. That's what these verses are telling us. God wins. Uh, He says, be still and know that I am God. Now, we often read those verses as words of comfort to God's people. But actually, in the context, this is not God comforting his people. It's God rebuking his enemies. Uh, Be still is not the... Is not the calm word of a, of a father with a wounded child. Rather, it's a father protecting his family, saying, that's enough. No more. It stops right here. That's what he's saying when he says, be still and recognize that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. God will have the last word. He will be exalted as king over all the nations and over all the earth. It is a certainty. And because it is certain, we are safe. What do we do with that? Let's go back to the beginning. To that phrase, we will not fear. Therefore, we will not fear. Maybe that seems unrealistic to you. Maybe that seems like wishful thinking. What is the psalmist giving us here? How do we make use of this psalm? What he's doing is he's giving you truth to chew on for when you're afraid. He's showing you what to remember. He's he's showing us where to go. Uh, Pardon the phrase, but I think the Bible can speak this way, and I think uh, certain hymns speak this way. He's showing you what to do when all hell breaks loose. When the world is going crazy, he's saying, remember who your God is. So what do we do with that? If you're a believer in Jesus, you go to Psalm 46 when you're afraid. And you say these things and you pray these things. And if you're doubting these things, you say, Lord, help me to believe that you are my refuge and strength. I believe, help my unbelief. That's what the Father said to Jesus when he wanted his son to be healed. I I wonder if the reason that I feel afraid more than I feel confident is because I don't actually make use of God's promises. That when the towering, when the wave of fear begins to tower over me, I aim to fight it in my own strength. I am to face it on my own. 
rather than run to him. That's what the psalmist wants us to do. He wants to remind us that God is with us. That he will help us at the break of day. You see, if you're hidden in Christ, if you've trusted in him alone for salvation, then the war is over. The victory has been declared. It's done. The future is a certainty. Now, in between now and then, there will be chaos. Maybe you felt very recently like your world is coming apart. Maybe you felt surrounded by enemies. Between the present and the future, there's still some fight left. The, the war is over. Jesus has finished it. And he will ultimately finish it when he returns. And so we have that as a certainty. But in between here and there, there will be fighting left to do. There will be suffering. There will be loss. But I want you to listen to what Paul says in Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That might be true of me and you one day. Regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not conquerors in our own right, but through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that your confidence? Is he your hope? If he's not, I pray that you would make him so today. That you would place your hands, that you would place your life in the hands of Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this word. We are fearful. We are doubting. And so, God, would you take the immovable, unshakable truths of this psalm and would you write them on our hearts so that we would believe them, so that we would hold fast to you when everything else is crazy, when everything uh, works against us. Would you help us to remember that if we are in you, in you, then we are safe. Nothing can come against us. 
we are held secure. Even as we just sang, the soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell, should endeavor to shake. I'll never, no never, no never forsake. Would you comfort us with that truth? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we respond to God?